Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Well, time is marching relentlessly forward. We're now just over halfway through 2011, and I can't believe it. Where did the first half of the year go? For that matter, where did the last 10 years go? Or 15 years, or 20 years. I'm remembering that uh, it was this year, 20 years ago, that Mary and I graduated from college, and I'm thinking, there's no way. This can't be possible. What happened? Time is marching relentlessly forward. This is something that we all know. It's no surprise, really. It's just the nature of things. But sometimes something happens. Uh, someone says something or, or you know, some incident takes place that, that just really makes it hit home in a, in a new way. In, in my case, my kids provide these moments better than anyone else. Several weeks ago, Mackenzie discovered Mary's old curling iron, and she, she, there it is. I was going to say, Calvin's not a curling iron. Calvin doesn't use curling. Mary discovered Mackenzie's old curling iron, and she looked at it for a minute, and she said, whoa, cool, this is from the 1900s. (laughs) Any antique dealers here today? I've got a curling iron to sell you. Where did the time go? And more importantly, how have I spent my time? There are 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours in a day, 365 days in a year. And most of us have no problem filling up those minutes, hours, days, and years with various activities. Most of our lives are are marked by an endless array of activities. We're busy people. Many of you have seen uh, Bill Watterson's Calvin and Hobbes cartoon. Um, You know, in one, Calvin says, God put me on earth to accomplish a certain number of things. Right now, I'm so far behind, I will never die. (laughs) Well, the theology there is a little suspect, but you can relate to the point. We're busy. The question is, busy with what? As we look at our lives, are we busy with things that, that matter for eternity? This is the question that's implicit in our scripture text for this morning. Part of Paul's purpose in writing this letter to encur- uh, is to encourage Timothy to remain faithful to Christ, to pursue righteousness, to be in the word. We see that clearly throughout the letter. But Paul, uh, but Paul is also writing out of his own sense of deep personal need. His love and affection for Timothy are clear and he longs for Timothy's companionship. Through the years, Paul has been like a father to Timothy. In 1 Timothy, Paul calls him my true son in the faith. And in 2 Timothy, he addresses him once as my dear son, and another time as my son. And you can see as you look at this letter that that there are decades of, of love and memory present in this letter. You can hear it in chapter 1 when Paul says, Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. 
Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Paul knew three generations of Timothy's family and and had been personally instrumental in Timothy's own uh, personal growth and his growth as a pastor. And now, now Paul is old and he's frail and he's writing to Timothy from a cold prison cell in Rome. And he's urging Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible. He says, do your best to come to me quickly and do your best to come before winter. Why the rush, Paul? Why is it so important that Timothy come now? Can't it wait until spring? Why do you need him to come before winter? This is a good question. Why indeed? Well, in part, we see from the passage that Paul wanted Timothy to come quickly for some practical reasons. He says in, in, in chapter 4, verse 13, When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Now, here we see a very normal human Paul, a Paul who gets cold and needs a coat in the winter. And we see a Paul who gets bored and needs to exercise his mind. Uh, Those scrolls and parchments were most likely copies of the scripture, though the letter doesn't specifically say. Whatever the case, Paul instructs Timothy to bring those reading materials to him. Maybe he's already exhausted all the, the books in the prison library at Rome or something. But on a deeper level, this passage shows us a Paul who is lonely, a Paul who is an old man in need, a man who longs for others to be near and to stay close. This is a struggling Paul, a man who's been deserted and abandoned by friends and co-workers in the faith. He says in 115, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. In 2.17, he grieves the defection of two other co-workers, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. And here in chapter 4, verse 10, he says, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. In verse 14, he says, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. And in verse 16, he says, At my first defense, no one came to support me, but everyone deserted me. Here's a man who is reliving his hurts and his wounds, grieving over desertions and betrayals. So many have proven unfaithful. He also laments the absence of of several others of his friends, uh, friends who remain faithful to Christ but simply aren't there for him now. Crescens, Titus, Tychicus, Erastus, and Trophimus, to name a few. Only Luke is with him. And Paul longs for Timothy's fellowship and comfort as he nears the end of his life. Now this is a different side of Paul. This is one that we don't tend to see too often. Most of us tend to think of Paul as some kind of super apostle, He's the guy with the dramatic conversion experience, an evangelical hero who is above the fray, always on spiritually and somehow immune to the everlastingly daily struggles of life. That's how we generally tend to think of Paul. 
Paul's the guy who took on the Judaizers and won. Paul's the guy the crowds wanted to worship as a god at Lystra. Paul's the guy who fought wild beasts at Ephesus, who raised a dead Eutychus to life, uh, and who planted churches all over the Roman Empire. Paul did a lot of great things for Christ, to be sure, and he's obviously one of the heroes of the faith. But if time and tradition have warped our view of Paul a bit, this passage provides a corrective. This letter is not the super apostle writing to his apprentice. It is an old, lonely father needing the comfort and presence of his son. Paul's faith in Christ has sustained him thus far and continues to do so. He gives thanks to God for standing by him in his trial when it seemed no one else had. And he expresses his confidence in God's saving grace. In verse 18, he says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Paul knows that his death is not far off, and he isn't afraid to die. He says as much in in chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul is ready. Death isn't the problem. But Paul is also very human. He doesn't want to die alone. He needs his friends, his companions. This is one of the fears that we don't usually talk about that much, isn't it? But it kind of lurks around the corner. No one wants to die alone. We all need our friends, don't we? We all need people who will share our lives with us, friends who will hold us close no matter what. We need other people who will share our griefs and our sorrows as well as our joys. We need others who will love us and stand by us through triumph and through failure. We need others to help us bear our burdens and our struggles. And we all need friends who will walk with us and stay by our side as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Friends, this is what the body of Christ is all about. This is incarnational ministry. God himself became a man and lived among us. He walked alongside us. He shared our lives. He bore our burdens. And ultimately, he gave up his life for us. And you know what? He still does that. Through you and me, the members of his body. The Bantus of South Africa have a saying... Umuntu, Gamuntu, Gabantu. A person is a person because of other persons. This is a truth that applies beautifully to the body of Christ. You see, we cannot be in covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ without also being in covenant relationship with the other members of Christ's body. Our identity as Christians is wrapped up with other Christians. There are no Lone Ranger Christians, so to speak. You may have heard the well-worn but insightful story of the little boy who called out from his bed to his daddy late one night, Daddy, I'm scared! 
Come in here and be with me. To which the dad replied, You don't have to be afraid, son. God is with you. God loves you. After a long pause, the boy responds, Yes, daddy, but I want someone with skin on. (laughs) We need each other in the body of Christ. And the way that God most often demonstrates his faithfulness to us is through other members of the body of Christ. If we are not concerned about our relationships within the body of Christ, if we're not concerned about the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ right around us, then we are missing the very essence of what it means to be Christian. Henry Nouwen, in his devotional book, Out of Solitude, asks, Why is it that we keep that great gift of care so deeply hidden? Why is it that we keep giving dimes without daring to look into the face of the beggar? Why is it that we do not join the lonely eater in the dining hall, but look for those we know so well? Why is it that we so seldom knock on a door or grab a phone just to say hello, just to show that we have been thinking about each other? Why are smiles still hard to get and words of comfort so hard to come by? Why is it so hard to express thanks to a teacher, admiration to a student, and appreciation to the men and women who cook, clean, and garden? Why do we keep bypassing each other, always on the way to something or someone more important? Remember Jesus' words in the parable of the sheep and the goats? To the righteous, he said, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. But to the unrighteous, he said, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Paul is old and frail. He knows he's going to die soon. And he desperately longs to see Timothy. Yes, God is his strength. But he also wants someone with skin on. So Paul urges Timothy to come quickly. To come before winter weather prevents him from sailing. The ships won't sail in winter. It's simply too dangerous. More than once, ships have tried to beat the weather, only to end up at the bottom of the sea. Paul himself had been in three shipwrecks and had spent a day and a night in the open sea. He knows that if Timothy is going to come, he has to come now. If Timothy delays, if he procrastinates, if he waits too long, he won't be able to make it. If you're going to come at all, Timothy, come before winter. Come before the opportunity passes by. Did Timothy make it in time? Did he drop everything in Ephesus where he was and board the first ship for Rome? Or did he put it off until later? Did Paul spend his last days with Timothy at his side, giving him strength and courage? Or did he spend his last days in lonely sorrow, wishing Timothy had come? Did Paul go friendless to his grave? Or was Timothy standing by his side as he was executed, beheaded for the cause of Christ? We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. What we do know is that time is marching relentlessly forward and it's running out for all of us. How are we spending our time? Are we busy with things that matter for eternity? Are we making the most of every opportunity to love others in Jesus' name? Maybe this morning... Some of you feel like Paul. Maybe you're lonely, hurting, just needing some support and encouragement. 
Maybe you're grieving the loss of a relationship. Maybe a close loved one died. Maybe a friend betrayed you or a spouse deserted you. Maybe a son or daughter has left home and gone their own way. Maybe you're experiencing physical or emotional suffering with no relief in sight and just need someone to to stand by you and to understand and to care about what you're going through. Whatever the case may be, the text offers two suggestions for you. First, let your need be known. Ask for help. Paul knew that he needed Timothy and he wasn't too proud to ask him to come. It's not an easy thing to ask for help. But if we don't ask, we may miss a wonderful opportunity to be blessed and to allow someone else the privilege of being a blessing to us. Second, take comfort and hope in the presence and faithfulness of God. He is with you even if no one else is. In 417, uh, when no one at all came to support him, Paul says, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. See, human beings will inevitably fail us, disappoint us, and let us down. Even the godliest of Christians fall short of perfect faithfulness in demonstrating love to others. But God never will. He is always faithful, and he will be with you to the end. Probably a lot of us here this morning are a lot like Timothy. Timothy was in Ephesus, up to his ears in all the details of running the church. He probably had sermons to prepare, meetings to attend to, uh, pastors to install, sacraments to administer, weddings and funerals to perform, conflicts to resolve, classes to teach, and false teachers to deal with. He was, no doubt, a very busy man. Most of us can relate to being busy. Our society expects us to be busy, and the majority of us... If we're honest, we wear our busyness sort of as a badge of honor. We want to be productive and we we tend to see our productivity as a measure of our worth. But at what cost? We have every intention of spending more time with our kids, but there's always one more thing that has to be done. Our parents and grandparents age right before our eyes. We plan to spend more time with them. We say, I'll get over to see them soon. But time gets away from us, and before we know it, they're gone, and we are left with our good intentions. Paul Harvey spoke of attending his mother's funeral. Uh, His position and prosperity uh, had allowed him to do a lot of nice things for her. But, he said, I didn't do the little things. How she would have appreciated an occasional call, a little remembrance, Or a few more hugs and kisses. Whether it's lending a hand to a neighbor, sending a note of encouragement to a colleague, volunteering in the church, maybe to work with children, visiting some lonely residents in the nursing home, or providing for someone's material need. We need to seize the opportunities that we have to love those around us for the sake of Christ. To not do so only leads to regret as we see our good intentions turn into lost opportunities. Margaret Sangster's poem, The Sin of Omission, reminds us of this. It isn't the thing you do, dear, it's the thing you leave undone that gives you a bit of heartache at the setting of the sun. 
the tender word forgotten, the letters you did not write, the flowers you did not send, dear, are your haunting ghosts at night. The stone you might have lifted out of a brother's way, the bit of heartfelt counsel you were hurried too much to say, the loving touch of the hand, dear, the gentle winning tone, which you had no time nor thought for with troubles enough of your own. And the last verse, for life is all too short, dear, and sorrow is all too great to suffer our slow compassion that tarries until too late. And it isn't the things you do, dear, it's the things you leave undone, which give you a bit of heartache at the setting of the sun. Now is the time for us to act before it's too late. Now is the time for us to love others for Christ before the sun sets, before winter comes. Marvin Phillips puts it this way. The spring of hope gives way to the summer of opportunity. Summer slips into the fall of passing chance. Winter comes all too soon and it's too late to say, I'm sorry, I love you. Or please forgive me. Did Timothy make it to see Paul? I hope so. But what if he didn't? What if he got sidetracked? What if something always came up? Imagine if Timothy says to himself, Yes, I must go to Rome, but first I have to attend to some matters in Ephesus. And because he delays, winter comes and he can't get a ship until spring. And so for months, he worries about his dear friend in prison hundreds of miles away. At last, a better weather comes, and Timothy makes the long journey to Rome. And when he arrives, he gets directions to the prison, and he races there to find Paul. And he tells the jailer, I want to see Paul. I am his son, Timothy. Ah, yes, the jailer says. Paul spoke of you often. He said you were like a son to him. He was beheaded two months ago. He wanted so badly to see you, his last words were to tell you he loved you. And all Timothy can do is turn away with tears burning his eyes. Why didn't I come sooner? I would love to believe Timothy actually did make it to see Paul, but we'll never know for sure this side of heaven. Whether he did or not, Paul's pleas uh, to come quickly and come before winter, speak to us today. It's not that we want to miss opportunities. We don't try to do wrong. We have good intentions. We mean to get around to it. But then winter comes far too quickly for many. Time is marching relentlessly forward. How are you spending your time? Are you busy with the things that matter for eternity? You see, now is the time to hug your children or visit your parents. Now is the time to send a note of comfort or encouragement to a friend. Now is the time to visit a lonely resident in the nursing home. Now is the time to do something nice and kind for another person. We need each other in the body of Christ and you and I have opportunities every single day to demonstrate the love and care of Christ to others. A smile, a hug, a word of encouragement, a helping hand. 
Will we make the most of our opportunities to love others for Christ's sake? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word to us. And we pray that you would enable us through the power of your spirit to prioritize our lives in such a way that others receive your love through us consistently and faithfully. And we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.